Um, in our, what, is, what should we call this? The Look Who's Talking sermon series? Is that word? Yeah. Right? It's my turn this week. All right. Um, the cost of following Christ. Uh, we're going to dive in at Matthew 8, but first, I wanted to start off on the lowest note that I possibly could, so I brought some really, really bad jokes for us. Uh, trust me. My understanding is it's not how you start, it's how you finish. So if I start here, we can only go up, okay? All right. Here it is. My wife said it was a waste of money to buy the four-foot frame for our wedding photo. I told her she had to look at the bigger picture. I, w <laughs> I was so glad when my son was old enough that he didn't ask for piggyback rides anymore. It was a big weight off my shoulders. I didn't want to make paper airplanes with my daughter, but she was so insistent that I eventually folded. And lastly, do you remember when plastic surgery was taboo? Now when you mention it, no one raises an eyebrow. Okay. I'm really sorry about that. So this Wednesday, we're going to have youth in here this Wednesday, and I promise you just to make up for that little thing, I'll take communion twice, okay? Just, all right. So, all right, let's get going. <laughs> Bless me, Father. Ah. So we are up to Matthew 8, verses 18 through 22. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, allow me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Would you join me in prayer? God, I'm asking for your presence to fall in this room this morning. Holy Spirit, I am, I, you have complete permission to move around this place. I pray that the words that I speak, God, if that they are not exactly what needs to be heard, Lord, I pray that you would twist them in midair. I truly do. God, I ask that each and every individual in this place, Lord, hear from you this morning. God, hear directly and divinely. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would touch hearts, that you would work on the hearts, God. Lord, that at the end of this message, Father, we would have not only received from you, but Father, we would feel challenged, God, and we would feel ready, Lord, to be that what you're calling us to be. Hallelujah. God, have your way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So today, we're going to talk about the cost of following Christ. My goal is that through a conversation and practical application, you'll have a good understanding that following Christ honestly means everything, from your lifestyle and priorities to your time to your opportunities, to the things that you do on a daily basis. To understand the cost of following Christ for the purpose of today's message, I want you to look just one step past salvation today. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. The choice itself to follow Christ is free. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's a free gift, and it's available to anyone who calls on the name of the Lord to be saved. You can't buy your way into a relationship with Christ. It's not a club that you get to join. There's not a membership or a level of membership that gets you to a, a greater place with the Lord. No. The cost of following Christ that we're going to hear about today, it's uh, a, basically we could, we could change the title itself to the cost of being a disciple. Even more applicably translated, I'm gonna, if I'm going to truly be a disciple of Christ, how is my life going to be impacted? And I'm so glad that you asked. 
So the evidence that Jesus is really talking about discipleship here can be found in Matthew 4, which Steve preached on back in the spring. Verses 18 and 19 tell us, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen, and he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, the same that we read in Matthew 8. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In that passage, Jesus was calling. Peter and Andrew heard the call, and they made the decision to follow him right then and there. What's really neat is in verse 20, it says immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. It's always struck me that the cost right there, the cost of following Christ, was something that they didn't even look at. Um, This would have been a family business that Peter and Andrew were a part of. Being fishermen was likely all that they had known at this point. So when they made the decision to follow Christ, they dropped their nets, they left their boat, everything behind, and they followed him. Steve talked about it earlier this year, and if you remember, there was reference to burning the ships, um, killing the oxen and burning the plows. It was that never-going-back mentality, which is what Peter and Andrew decided to follow Christ with. As we know, an absolutely amazing journey ensued for Peter and Andrew once that they made that decision. So for us today, let's start with the most basic of concepts for this passage. What exactly is a disciple? It is a learner who follows a master teacher. The crew.org site says it really, really cool. It says, discipleship is a journey of intentional decisions leading to maturity in your relationship with Jesus so that you become more like him in your attitudes, your focus, and ultimately your behavior. So let's dive in. Let's look at our text, and let's really pull it apart here. Matthew 8, verse 18. Now then, Jesus saw a crowd around him, and he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Why would he do that? Because he's Jesus, and he does the unexpected. It could totally have been for space, maybe accommodations. Could have been for shade, something else. Maybe the wind was better over there. I don't know. But you know, if it was me, I think it would have probably been, and I think Jesus would have had a little bit of fun. Have you ever done that thing where like somebody's about to get in your car and you take your foot off the gas and you move like six feet forward and then you hit the brake? <laughs> then the person kind of looks at you cross-eyed like, why'd you do that? And then you do it again and you do it again. I can, see, I can see Jesus. He's sitting in the boat. He's like, hey, Peter. Hey, Peter, I got an idea. See this crowd? They're all gathering. They got their towels out, threw on their swimsuits. They're, they're, they're catching some rays. Watch this. You ready? I'm going to have you pull up. I'm going to have you pull up the anchor. Here we go. All right. Oh, we're moving. And they noticed. Oh, here they come. Look at, look at, they're scrambling. They're getting all their stuff together. Man. Oh, did you see that guy? Man, he just like ran over that lady. He wants to follow me real bad. This is great. This is great. All right, now I'm ready. I'm going to have you throw the anchor down. Ready? Three, two, one. Er. All right. If a boat ever makes that noise, you should take it in right away. Okay. <laughs> to put this in a practical perspective, if Giannis Antetokounmpo place for the box. If you ever walked in here and you were standing between him and Jake, you would, like those people I just mentioned, would be run over by Jake as he tries to get to a sportsman crush. Okay? Trust me. I spent the week with Jake uh, at youth camp. I know how this guy operates. Just, just believe me there, okay? All right. So we've got the crowd tripping over Jesus. or I'm sorry, tripping over each other to get to where Jesus is going. And, all right, I digress. Here we go. So after the sermon on the mount, and the healings that were witnessed a couple weeks ago, we heard Trenton preach on that. The popularity of Jesus we know was increasing, and the curiosity that was surrounding him was probably at an all-time high for the moment. We know this because in verse 19 it says, Then a scribe came to him 
and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now you need to understand that there is significant magnitude in what the scribe was doing here. First of all, scribes are highly educated individuals. They were revered members in society. They had uh, religious stature. They were, um, they were well-respected when they spoke, people listened to them. So for a scribe to follow the son of a carpenter was a very astonishing thing. It clearly shows that Jesus is grabbing all of the headlines around this time. So most likely also, the scribe didn't show up just and uh, just decide, you know what, this is the guy that I'm going to get behind. More than likely, the scribe had spent some time. He had been following Jesus. He had probably from a distance was watching some of the miracles that Trenin was preaching on. He was probably following up on some of those individuals, hearing their stories. How long had they been, how long had they been ill? How long had they been demon-possessed? Just to make sure that everything that Jesus was doing was really legit. So more than likely, having seen the miracles, um, and having interviewed, he, he likely confirmed that this was a guy who perhaps he didn't recognize him as the son of God, but what he recognized is that this man possessed something, this man had an ability, this man had a perspective, brought something to the table that he wasn't familiar with. So the scribe himself was willing to say, you know, I, I can get behind this guy, I can learn about him. So remember, he's a well-educated man. He would never have gone off of simply blind faith to follow Jesus. So then what does he say? He says, I will follow you. When the scribe made this statement, what he was really saying was the Greek word daskalos. Say daskalos. Great. We don't say enough Greek unless you order euros a lot, right? All right. That translates literally to teacher. So the scribe would not have been submitting himself to the lordship of Christ at this point. What he was really doing was effectively saying, teacher, professor, I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to learn under your stewardship. I'm willing to... to increase my own ability, increase my own knowledge, increase my own understanding by, by following you wherever that you wanted to go. It's also very possible that what the scribe, having understood perhaps um, that where, where Jesus was ultimately going to be in the future, perhaps heaven, um, he would have said, I want to get to heaven. And if that this is the only way that I can do it, I'm, I'm, willing, to, I'm willing to follow this guy around. I'm willing to you know, kind of sit in the shadows. I'm willing to just kind of be here and uh, whatever that I need to do so that in the end, I'm the winner. That's the way it's going to be. So Jesus picks up on it. And we know that. It could have been divine, certainly, but maybe it was in the body language or something else in how that the scribe was presenting himself. But Jesus comes back. Come on, this is awesome. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What a response. Classic Jesus classic Jesus. Jesus was testing the mindset of the man. In the case of Peter and Andrew, back in chapter 4, the call was to leave everything behind. And everything in this case for the scribe would have meant becoming a nomad, becoming a homeless person. Yes, at this point, Jesus was effectively homeless, had no place to lay his head. Given the scribe's place in society, more than likely he was very well off financially. He probably wanted for nothing. Most likely he, he not only had a home, but he probably had a very good home. Okay, So uh, if you were to translate that to this, can you imagine if the CEO of one of our corporate mills walked in here and said, you know what, this church knows what they're doing. I like black. I can get behind black. I'm going to pick this church because it's the best church. In fact, I'm going to join the worship team, and I'm going to insta and snap all my solos. In fact, I'm even going to come up with a little dance on that team, and I'm going to be TikTok trending within an hour. That's basically, 
exactly what was happening here, and Jesus knew it in the scribe. So despite the man's societal status, his peer influence, his pocketbook, Jesus effectively turned him away. Now, the opportunity was absolutely still there for the scribe, but what would have needed to happen in that moment is the scribe would have had to have submit himself to a humility in Jesus that the scribe didn't understand. On another interesting note, this is the first time that son of man is used in the Gospels. Is that still out there? It is. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. What an interesting word choice by Jesus. The self-identification as the son of man was very specific for the scribe. What he was really saying is to the scribe is, you don't understand. You don't really get who I am. You don't, you don't see the importance of what I'm doing. You perhaps are willing to follow the son of God, but to follow the son of man again, means submitting to a, in, in, a, in a humility that you, you don't get. Let's rewrite that song. How does it go? May I never boast in anything except I'm on the team of the Son of God. Right? All right. So by saying Son of Man, it ultimately lost some prestige for the scribe. Jesus identified himself very specifically that way. And from that moment on in the Gospels, Jesus actually refers to himself as the Son of Man more often than he refers to himself as the Son of God. This is a showing of humanity. And we, if we look forward to Mark 10, chapter, 40, or chapter 10, verse 45, it says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give himself up as a ransom for many. For most guys, we want the best of anything we can get, right? The best of what we can afford, or perhaps the absolute best of what we can finance. Why would we buy the two-foot mower deck when we can get the four-foot zero turn, right? Why would we get the 32-ounce uh, steak cut when the 96-ounce tomahawk hasn't sold out yet? Come on. A brand-new Chevy with a lift kit, right? All right. So I would imagine that the scribe was probably just like that. He wanted to get the absolute best. Can't fault him. It wasn't for the right purposes. He could get behind the Son of God without any hesitation, but getting behind the Son of Man probably caused an immediate pause. He would have followed the one that everyone was revering. Everyone was running along the side of the sea to get where Jesus is going. He would have followed the one that, honestly, people were idolizing at the time, the one that people wanted to be around, the one who was becoming more and more popular. But in order to follow the Son of Man, it would have required him effectively to reduce how he viewed himself in order to follow Christ. Given that the scribe isn't mentioned in any of the subsequent verses in chapter 8, it's very possible that once that the scribe paused right there, he peaced out. He said, no, I, this, this isn't for me. If this, is, if this is what you need to do and if this is how you're going to talk to me, I'm out. I'm not following this. He could have. He wasn't able to. And he missed out, honestly, as a result. Verse 21 says, And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, allow me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus replied, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Follow me, that same call from Matthew chapter four, follow me. But what is that? I mean, did we just read that right? So how many of us would we receive those words as an enlightening and a nurturing thing? No, most likely, no show of hands needed. There's a number of us in here that probably would have replied with, man, what a jerk. I can't even go bury my dad. What's it? My dad's even here this morning. So I'll bury you, dad. <laughs> 20 years, 20 more years. All right. On the surface, it does sound like a mean thing to say. All this talk about love and mercy and such, and Jesus denies one of his disciples an opportunity to go and bury his own father. So we need to step back. We need to look at the whole picture here. What Jesus was really calling out was the man's old life, 
let the dead bury their own dead, is referring to those who are spiritually dead. And it's a reference to who that the disciple used to be and where that the disciple had came from. Every one of us, every single one of us, recognizes and knows people in our own lives who are spiritually dead, right? So what Jesus is effectively saying here is, if you're gonna follow me, you have to leave the old behind. The old relationships that you have, the old friends that you have, the family members who are spiritually dead, you need to leave them behind you if you're really gonna be my disciple. Could be hard for some, could be easy. I would imagine that there's probably a few in this room who, uh, who can relate to leaving some behind. Man, Jesus' response is a challenge to his disciples. Are you gonna leave those who are dead and go with me? Will you lead those who don't feed you spiritually? Guys, would you leave those who don't sharpen your iron to follow me? Yeah, they're well-meaning, but they can't pour into you. And honestly, what might even be a little bit worse is they can lead you, but if that they aren't following Jesus themselves, they're not gonna be able to lead you in the way that you should go. So you gotta leave them behind. Let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let the dead bury their own dead. Following Jesus, being a disciple of Christ, is gonna cost you everything. I wanna look at Luke 14, verses 27 and 28. And it says, and whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? There's a cost to building something, right? It makes logical sense when you apply a monetary value. All the Ramsey fans in the house you guys know that what you need to do is add a line item to your budget, right? You pull out your phone app, you add that line item in. Then you guesstimate first what the cost of the build is gonna be if you don't know it already. And then, if that you are under budget, fantastic, then you've got money for savings. If you are over budget, now you have to try to figure out ways where in the budget can you, can you trim, can you cut away in order to meet the budgeted amount that's necessary for your build, right? So, but what happens when the cost passes the budget and amount, and there's nothing left. Well, like Congress, you just raise your debt limit, right? Right, right. No, you begin to trim away all those other areas, whatever fluff that you can find. Then the question that really deserves an answer is whether or not you have line items in your life that you need to do away with in order to follow Christ. Christ doesn't ask you for a line item with a constrained budget amount. No, in fact, if that we were to throw a monetary commitment on this, we'd probably get the rich young ruler treatment where Jesus would say, sell all that you have, give the money to the poor, and follow me. If you take this one step further, Luke 14, verse 26, it says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. This is an emphatic double down to leave your old life. Leave everything, the cost of your friends, costs you opportunities, costs you relationships, costs you connections, it costs you status, it costs you jobs, it costs you everything. Genuinely does. Now I wanna make sure that I'm completely clear here. Does Jesus actually tell us to hate everyone? No, no, of course not, right? It's uh, metaphorical. So here he's giving you a comparison. What he's really saying is that the most extreme cost that you can possibly think of is what it's gonna cost to follow him. Hating your family, man, for some, I know that that would cause pain. There's probably those in here that it would actually be completely gut-wrenching, right? Some of you might be thinking, man, I can relate to that already. When I made the decision to follow Christ in the first place, I've got family members who effectively alienated me, right? I've got coworkers that they want to do things and they, they jab me in the ribs every now and then telling me, this is what we're doing this weekend. Man, you should really come out and join us. And I know, I know, uh-uh, 
uh-uh, that's not for me. There's probably some that can relate to this cost already, right? And there might be a few in here that are thinking, eh, it wouldn't be so bad. I could hate my mother-in-law for Christ. I could hate my crazy Uncle Orville who's always giving candy to kids from his windowless van. I can hate him for Christ. Would Jesus really ask you to sell absolutely everything and follow him? It's possible. Is he? That's a great question. One that you'll have to answer yourself. Now, I, I, I do want to say that we'll call this a disclaimer, okay? My disclaimer. If you get like the know-that-you-know experience from Christ, if that you get the Balaam's talking donkey experience and the, uh, the word is sell everything, give the money to the poor and follow him, okay, all right, we'll pray you out as a missionary. I promise you that. Um, what I want to let you know about, though, make sure that you don't walk away with that, is Matthew 27, verse 57. It refers to Joseph of Arimathea, and it describes him as a rich man who had become a disciple. So the importance here is that Joseph of Arimathea had his, um, he had his priorities right with Christ, okay? You can have wealth and be able to follow Jesus. You can have worldly items. You can have ATVs. You can have really big trucks, loud diesels, right, Ed? Yes, you can. Um, you can have possessions, that, and then you would still be able to follow Christ, Absolutely. Matthew 16, 24, and 25. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Translate that. Whoever wants to hold on to their old ways is not following him, but whoever leaves it all behind follows him. So, okay, Eric, but what does that really mean for me today? I've already made the decision to follow Christ. Well, I'm glad you're asking. Let's make this a little bit more applicable. So we just pieced apart the scriptures themselves. Let's take a look at and maybe even lay a a little bit of wood this morning. So remember back in verse 18 where Jesus went to the other side of the sea? Could it be that he wasn't, you know, my goofy little thing about tripping over each other? He wasn't having fun. What if he was actually trimming away some of those who had gathered around him to listen to what he wanted to say because it was about to become uncomfortable? How many of us, if you got little kids, there's, there's 3,000 little kids here right now, right? And I think there's about to be another 1,000 in the next, you know, four months or something. Anyway, um, but how many of us would we, sitting there, waiting for Jesus to begin preaching, and Jesus begins moving off to, to the other side of the sea, would we gather everything, probably the toys and the picnic baskets and everything else, the blankets and everything, throw it all over our shoulder, and take off booking it down the side of the sea um, in order to get to wherever Jesus is going next, not even knowing where he's going to end up, right? That's a, that would be an uncomfortable moment. When, uh, with all the kids crying, maybe you got a blister underneath your crotchy sandals already. Would you really make that decision? But Jesus, I'm hungry. Well, tough, because we don't get to the feeding the 5,000 for like six more chapters, all right? So you see, when you come to Christ, when you make the decision to follow him and be his disciple, sometimes it's going to become uncomfortable. Sometimes it means you don't exactly know, but when you see where Jesus is going and he's asking you to follow him, you make that decision. Blind faith, here you go. Not only does he call you to leave everything behind, but he also begins changes within you. Now, the cost of following Christ here It means an internal sacrifice. You see, the Lord wants everything in you. What is everything? The body, the mind, and the heart. That's what we're going to piece apart right now. So first, the Lord wants your body. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It contains a call to keep our bodies under discipline. Now, the Bible is full of a number of instances 
when people didn't keep their bodies under dis- discipline. Adam and Eve, they gave into temptation, right? We know that. That's why that we're here in the first place. It's why the whole salvation thing, everything, right? Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Eve. Appreciate you guys. Uh, Samson gave up his strength when he entered into an unholy relationship with Delilah. Ultimately, that cost him his life. Moses, in a fit of anger, he struck a rock, and that kept him out of the promised land. That was a moment of pride and disobedience. The cost means that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord, holy and pleasing to our God. The cost means that you can't live by your emotions. Steve would say, when emotion is high, logic is low. Yep, you guys have heard that a thousand times. The cost means not satisfying your own desires, your own curiosities, your own ambitions when they don't line up with our God. So those stories that I just mentioned, Adam and Eve, Moses, Samson, those are big things, right? But we gotta put big in perspective because honestly, if you break one commandment, you're guilty of breaking all of them. So every one of us in this room has had our own struggles in keeping our body under discipline at one point or another. For some, it's as simple as screen time, time prioritization, laziness, procrastination. For others, and this is where I fall, it might be being quick to anger. I've, that's been me numerous times throughout my life. Or maybe it's a prideful defiance when you should be submitting for correction. Some of you have habits and addictions. Some might be looking at ways to cheat others or spin numbers in a way for financial gain. Some might be quick to lie with your tongue lest you, you know, so that you can deceive others into thinking that you're better than you are. Sex, sex feels good, but sex outside of marriage is not keeping your body under discipline. The cost of following Christ means satisfying what the Lord is asking, sacrificing what feels good to your flesh. He wants your mind. Take every thought captive, church. Let's keep our eyes on Christ. We need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, verse 2. Everything around you is competing for your thoughts, right? This makes sense. All the billboards, all the ads, everything on the radio, all the sights, the sounds. You're bombarded with mental stimuli that's trying to get your attention. Ultimately, honestly, it's just trying to get your pocketbook, right? Everything is trying to influence your thoughts. Go buy this product, attend this event, watch this movie. In our current society, we're supposed to be tolerant of others' behaviors and life choices, right? We know that. Calling out sinful behavior is even equated to hate speech now. No, friends, if you're not renewing your mind daily, what's going to happen is little bit by little bit, there's going to be just elements that start to creep in. And if you're not renewing your mind, your moral compass, which is pointed to the Lord up to this point, is going to start gently shifting little bit by little bit towards the morality of man, man's definition. All right? Can't compromise. Moral compass. Point that to our God, the truth found in his word. Renew your mind. Your mind has the ability to lead your body, right? Yeah, we, can, we get to make the decisions. Yes, we have freedom of choice. You can choose to sing and worship. You can choose to pray out loud. But what's really going through your mind in those moments? Are you thinking about what you have for the work week? Are you thinking about what you're going to be doing on Sunday afternoon? Packers haven't started the Sunday games yet, but that'll be coming up here real soon. That's an easy one to pick on, right? All right. Um, I've been guilty. I know. I'm trying to think three steps ahead. Even sometimes when I'm up here on stage, I'm trying to sing one thing, think about what's going on, try to remember that we've got a baptism, we've got this element that's going to be taking place, this is going to be unique, I need to watch for that individual. And sometimes, while this is my responsibility to be up here uh, leading you in worship, it takes my mind out of worship for a moment, and it, it, it causes me basically to really focus on, on what needs to be going on around me. Renew my mind so that I'm not distracted by things, even the important things that I need to be focusing on, but cast my mind onto Christ. 
Praise the Lord. The cost of following Christ means our minds, our thoughts, and our choices are going to lead to decisions and actions that keep our bodies under discipline. Third, he wants to be Lord of your heart. What does that really mean? Well, that's a great question. People say, follow your heart, right? I say, horse hockey. I do. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's straight out of Jeremiah 17. That's verse 9. See, you can't trust your heart. Following your heart is really just making a decision in your mind that's going to feel good for your body. The heart does not have the ability to make choices for you. That rests only in your mind. Furthermore, you can't change your heart. There's no switches to flip. There's no buttons to push, anything like that. No, what you need to do is change your mind and then allow Christ to change your heart. You change your mind, he changes your heart. The cost of following Christ, here it results in a pure heart. When you have allowed Christ to be the Lord of your life, we will be able to see that in your heart. Two verses here, Luke 6, 45, out of the heart the mouth speaks. Matthew 15, 19, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts. Friends, when you are following Christ in all aspects of your life, it's gonna be seen in the way you act. It's gonna be seen in the choices that you make. It's gonna be seen and heard in the words that you say. So I would challenge you, what are people around you hearing out of your heart today? The cost of following Christ can even be applied a little bit more impactfully than this. It means giving up your privacy. What? Just let that sink for a moment. The cost of following Christ means giving up your privacy. Robert wants me to keep moving on this one. Well, what do you mean? It means you can't hide your sin from the Lord anymore. After, God, after all, God searches your heart anyway. Your choices, your partners, your addictions, the things you do in your most secluded times can't be hidden from God. Numbers 32, verse 23, it says, be sure your sin will find you out. See, he knows, and let me tell you this, he exposes things when he exposes things in you through someone else. You should receive it. Don't feel judged. Most likely the person that's saying it to you isn't beating on you. I know in times in my life when the sin has been exposed in me, it hasn't, but nobody's, Jay Baker doesn't hold me up against the wall because he totally could. He doesn't hold me up against the wall, pound on me and say, you need to knock it off. No. No, when I feel hurt, when my sin gets exposed, when I feel shame, when I feel frustrated, when I feel angry that somebody else knows what I'm doing, it's because honestly what's going on on the inside of me, it hurts. The Holy Spirit's been working on me more than likely, I've probably gotten to, my, to a point where if I wasn't able to make the decision myself and the, Holy, and the Lord had to point it out in me, I had probably suppressed the voice of the Holy Spirit enough that I wasn't listening anymore. I was comfortable and I was willing to indulge in my sin. So don't feel judged. Receive it and be grateful that the Lord is taking an opportunity to point out the things in your life that he's asking you to change. If the cost of following Christ means that I have to give up my privacy so that he can expose the areas that I haven't fully given to him, then Lord, honestly, I surrender. The cost means you live in a spotlight. Eyes are on you. The eyes of those you know who are saved are watching you to see what kind of fruit comes out of you. We just said it above. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. I'll double down. What is your heart saying to those around you? And even more so, spiritual eyes are on you. Maybe you have reached a point in your walk where the enemy has decided that he's not going to worry about you anymore because you're so close to God. No, I'm just kidding. Even Jesus got tempted. You can't get to that point. Friends, when you, um, the decision, the cost to follow Christ means you get crosshairs put on you, enemy crosshairs. I know for me, the things that happen on a Wednesday, 
Wednesday afternoon, just a couple hours before service time. It's not a joke. I know that's the enemy every single time. On a Thursday, before uh, thir- Thursday night when we kick off women's conference, if something happens, somebody gets sick, somebody gets in a car accident, somebody uh, rips their arm open on a nail on a wall, something. It's all, these are all true stories right now. Honestly, I, I'm not surprised. Sunday morning, Saturday night is a prime one. We get a phone call, we get an email, something crazy happens on a Saturday night, and it rocks my world before Sunday morning service. These are moments that the enemy tries to get in and do something. Eyes are on you. Now for me, when I do something and I'm not proud of it, the enemy loves to throw it back in my face. That's his favorite way to attack me. He loves to kick me with it. He loves to try to throw shame on me. And every time like, I'm trying to move forward, and he's like, yeah, but remember, yeah, but remember. And then that person will come across my path, and uh, it'll just like, immediately click in my mind, like, oh, I shouldn't have said, oh, I shouldn't have did that. You know, even if I apologized like 20 years ago, and I'm still remembering things that, oh, geez, enemy, shut up. I'm moving on. All right. Kind of like covert Christianity was really kind of neat. All right, so let's, let's bring it back, bring it back. The cost of following Christ means you get to rearrange your priorities. I would say that you must rearrange them, but honestly, this one's all on you. Every one of these choices, of course, is one that you get to make, um, but this one is, is all on you. Why? Okay, so first, after I left youth camp, I shot up to Bayfield County, way up the northern part of Wisconsin, um, not too far from Lake Superior, like a five-hour drive from here. Um, I love it up there. We've, we've got some hunting property up there, and we were doing some work getting ready for the upcoming hunting season. And um, honestly, my priorities, if left to my own ambitions, my priorities would probably not have me here today because I would rather be off in the woods doing something and making deer want to be where I, where I am, right? Um, but no, the cost of following Christ for me, um, I know what his call on my life is. So I get to rearrange my priorities, I get to make decisions. I get to choose to be in the house of God. I get to choose the things that are going to align me with what he's calling me to do. So you get to rearrange your priorities. Now, honestly, it's a choice that I've never regretted. The stories, the testimonies that I've had the privilege of seeing, watching happen right here in this room, man, there's nothing that I could be doing. There's nothing that I could have put in its place. There's no priority that I could have put out there that could have done anything greater. The cost of following Christ means you lose your vote. You lose your vote. Why? Okay, God's kingdom's not a democracy. It wasn't built that way. No, you don't get to debate the instruction that was given by God, whether that comes straight from him or if it comes from someone who you've positioned in your life as a spiritual authority over you. So every one of you who volunteers in a ministry here, you are choosing to submit to the authority that's been placed over you. This is regardless of social stature, political influence, length of time being saved, no, this is aligning with God's kingdom to carry out the vision that's being cast to you that's, that the Lord has specifically orchestrated for you in this season that you're in. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. None of the disciples right there cut Jesus off and said, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to take a vote on this. How far does all the world really mean? I'm thinking like if I'm walking six miles outside of the Fox Valley, about as far as I want all the world to really go. No. No, in Trendon's message last week, verse 16, it said many who were demon-possessed were, were brought to Jesus. Um, Luke, Luke was a doctor. Can you imagine if he stopped Jesus right there and said, hold on, hold on, Jesus. I just, I just want to do an assessment. Are they, are they really demon-possessed? Okay, let's just, let's just talk through this, Jesus, a little bit. All right, I just, because if, if, if all they've got is a mental illness, you know, we, 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 can, we can talk about it. They don't need deliverance. No, of course not. Disciples don't roll like that. No, Jesus... Um, I'm telling you right now that some of you in this room, 
You need to put down your voice, your vote. You need to put down your veto before you can walk in your victory. The cost of following Christ means humility, swallowing your pride so that you can fully submit. Lastly, Trendon, come on up and rock it, man. The cost of following Christ leads to an eternity in heaven. While I was in China, I met a frail old man. This, was, this is an awesome story. Just this little old guy. Um, he had given up his entire life for Christ very early on. I don't remember the dates. This was, I was in China back in 2000, quite a number of years ago. Um, he was in prison for sharing the gospel. But while he was there, he didn't stop. At no point did he give up, did he say, oh, this is my life, I'm just going to deal with it. No, he shared the gospel with everyone that he had an opportunity to come across, whether that was inmates, it was guards, it didn't matter. When he got old enough, they simply just kicked him out of the prison because they didn't want the guards to become his caretakers. So they sent him back to live with his family, which is awesome for me because then I got to hear him. could barely hear him speak. We were, we were sitting at, like, at the back of this restaurant, again, like covert, co- covert awesomeness, right? Um, sitting at the back of this restaurant, and his voice, as loud as he could muster, was just a little bit above a whisper, even to the point that the interpreter that we had had to ask him multiple times to repeat himself just to make sure that we got what he was saying. But ultimately, the whole crux of what he was trying to tell us is that there's not a single point, not not a single moment in his entire life that he wishes he would have done anything different. The cost of following Christ put him behind bars inside the walls of a prison but he knew that the eternal reward was greater and he brought as many people to a saving faith in Christ as he possibly could. Friends, I want to ask you today, have you counted the cost? A Christian out of God's will is like a fish out of water. If you have not counted up the cost, if you have not looked at the cost of discipleship, today is the day. Have you you honestly ever surrendered fully your body, your mind, and your heart to Christ? Are you being obedient to the call in your life? There's another shot for you. One of Ashley's favorite theologians we heard about a few weeks ago, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said this, only he who obeys truly believes and only he who believes truly obeys. The Bible says, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? So friends, I'm going to ask you right now, have you counted the cost? Well, more importantly, maybe this morning the Holy Spirit's pointed out some areas to you in your life that you need to address, that you need to surrender to him. You need to know that the call, the cost, isn't 80%. It's not 90%. It's not 99%. No, it's everything. Oh, but I can skate by. I can go to church. Every now and then, I can, I can, I can repent. I'll take communion twice when I make bad jokes. Yes. And, uh, if I do just enough, not only do I look good, but I feel pretty good. If I don't do too much, the devil doesn't bother me too much. Live the life that I want. I can repent on occasion and when I'm a little bit older, perhaps. When I'm kind of done doing my own thing, then, you know, then I'll start to take it seriously. So Steve has said this so many times. If you don't survive the car ride home today, it's probably a bad decision this morning. This is sobering. So this week, we got to sit around with Justin Smith, who actually, he's the one that preached last week. Trenton preached two weeks ago. Justin Smith was our speaker at youth camp. This is, this is really amazing and super sobering at the same time. One of the signs of the end times is that everyone across the whole world 
is going to get an opportunity to hear and know Jesus. Just a couple years ago, Justin was saying that it looked like it would be about 25 years before the Bible would be able to be translated into every language. Every, I should say every known language for every known people group. Justin shared with us, he just heard earlier this year that they're a little bit ahead of schedule. In fact, right now, it looks like in just a little over two years from now, the Bible will be available in every language. I'm saying this, church, because right, honestly, the time is right now. The time is right now. I would challenge you not to walk out of here without saying, God, I am behind you 100% with everything that I have. One of the things that gets me from time to time, I think about this, especially when I screw up. When I get to heaven, is God going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? I believe so. I hope so. I would hate to be the one that gets there and I walk up boldly to Christ and I say, I prophesied in your name. I did miracles in your name. And he looks and says, depart from me. I never knew you. Friends were close. I genuinely believe that the Holy Spirit is saying some things to some people in this room right now. I'm going to do a little bit of a different altar call this morning. I'm just going to open this up. And my altar call is going to be multifold. First, if you have never made a decision to follow Christ. If you're sitting in here and you've never heard anything about following Christ before. If you've got questions, I just want you to come up and talk to me. And I am going to work with you. After the message is over, I'm going to have somebody come up. We're going to pray with you. And it's going to be awesome. But if you're here right now, if that the Lord's moving on your heart, I just want you to come to the front. And I want you to say, God, I'm giving you that last 20%, that last 10%, that last 1%, whatever that it is. Lay that down at all to this morning. And then staff, if that there are some that don't come forward, I want you to see who's lined up here. And then I'm just going to ask the staff to come up and just pray over them. Let them have their moment with God. See, friends, if the cost of following Christ means everything and you're still holding on to a sin, God can only do so much with you. If you are still holding on to your own priorities, maybe it's not even a sin, right? Yeah, I like the Packers too. But if you're positioning other things in your life ahead of God, that's a problem. If you're living a lifestyle that's not in alignment with who Christ is calling you to be, that's a problem. If your heart is saying things that your mind wouldn't be saying because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's a problem. So church, I'm just going to start praying. Trenton's going to play here in just a moment. I just want you to have some personal time with God with the altars open. If he's moving on you, I just want to grab you and shake you and say, just go, just go, just go. Come on. So Father, right now, Holy Spirit, I'm just asking that you continue to speak to hearts, that you move on lives, that you point out areas in our lives, Father, each and every one of us, God, where that we are holding back, even if it's just 1%, Father. God, I'm asking that you reveal things right now. 
Father, that you point out areas of our life. God, like I said, that might not even be sin. Father, it might just be a simple priority. Lord, an area, Father, where that you're asking us to surrender. Lord, so that you can move us forward, God, so that you can do things in our life, Father, that are greater than anything that we've ever known before. Father, if the cost... Lord, of being a disciple. Lord, if it means I give up my privacy. Lord, if I, if I lose my vote, Father, that's perfectly fine, God. I surrender to you. My priorities are yours. Holy Spirit, just keep working. Do your thing. God, may every single person in here, Lord God, have a confrontation with them right now. God, that they wouldn't get up and leave, Father. Lord, until they know that they know that they know that their priorities are right with you. In Jesus' name.
We love you. We love you. In your name we